You are now listening to Well-Fed Women, the show that's been radically changing the way women perceive health, fitness, and their bodies since 2015. I'm your host, Noelle Tarr. Submit your questions to wellfedwomen at gmail.com, and you can keep up with the show on Instagram at wellfedwomen. Welcome to the Well-Fed Women podcast. This is episode number 330. I am your host, Noelle Tarr of coconutsandkettlebells.com, and I'm here with the Stephanie Ruper, who is officially stateside and in the same time zone, which has just been such a rare occurrence on the podcast in the last six-plus years. I think that it's just worth noting. It's fun when we're in the same time zone and I don't know, in the same country. Many of you OG Paleo Women podcast listeners. And if you're new to the podcast, this podcast used to be called the Paleo Women Podcast. Now it's called the Well-Fed Women Podcast. Uh, but But OG Paleo Women podcast listeners will remember that I think when we started recording that you were in Boston, Stephanie, you're in Boston, and then you went to Spain, and then she spent... um many years in the UK and got her PhD. And that was really cool to watch and like, you know, live through her (laughs) cool life experiences. So it's been very exciting. So today, Steph and I are going to catch up. And um, we're also going to answer some questions about uh, body love when you have a chronic illness, uh, hormonal headaches, and the histamine connection to that lactation boosters, and motion sickness, which is something that I've struggled with forever. Uh, And I'm not sure I have any good answers, but we can definitely talk through it. Uh, Before we jump in, my most favorite mineral in the entire world is magnesium, and that's because uh, it's the mineral that's involved in over 600 chemical reactions. So they keep researching researching it and finding more and more that it's involved with. It's critical for uh, sleep, for restfulness, for hormone balance, and it is so important for supporting the stress response. So when you're deficient in magnesium, you can experience a lot of different negative symptoms like leg cramps, uh, insomnia, fatigue, anxiety, diabetes, migraines, and heart problems. Magnesium deficiency also plays a role in hormone imbalances and PMS symptoms. There's actually some literature that shows that it reduces PMS symptoms when you supplement with it. And low serum magnesium concentrations are, are linked to higher rates of mortality. Unfortunately, over 80% of the population is deficient in magnesium. And the confusing thing is that there are all different types of magnesium and they come in different forms. And some forms are highly absorbable while others aren't. Uh, This is why I recommend Magnesium Breakthrough. It contains um, seven essential forms of magnesium. Some of the more popular ones that I love, like magnesium glycinate and magnesium citrate. Citrate's great for digestion, whereas glycinate's really great for sleep and anxiety. Um, You just take two capsules before you go to bed, and you'll be amazed at how much better you sleep, and you will feel more rested when you wake up. Um, I personally take it every night. I just take two and adjust according to my um, my stress and my my sleep and anxiety. So many of you have reached out about Magnesium Breakthrough and have told me about the improvements in sleep and fatigue once you started taking it, which is really cool. Um, I just love to hear from you guys, and I love it when things improve your health, and I feel the same way that you do. So you can get 10% off with our coupon code. Visit magbreakthrough, so M-A-G, breakthrough.com slash wellfed. And then our code is WELLFED10. Again, that's MAG Breakthrough, so M-A-G, and then the word breakthrough, that's B-R-E-A-K, and then T-H-R-O-U-G-H dot com forward slash WELLFED, and then use the coupon code WELLFED10, WELLFED10, to get an additional uh, 10% off, which is super cool. So, hey, Steph. Hey. Hey, hey, was that right? So you were in Boston, right, when we first started? I think I may have actually already been in Spain when we first started, or maybe it was just a couple in Boston, but it was the super early days. Yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah. It was the super early days. If, if, if we knew the first date of the first episode, I mean, well, I, we probably took a minute to launch it after we recorded, but yeah, um, that's true. Yeah. I, I was, I was in Spain for January through March of 20, get this folks, 2015. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, oh man which means we've been doing this for more than six years now which is remarkable it it 
it really it, it's astonishing. I mean, six years is a very long time if you think about it. Um, it's like the longest running relationship of my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a lot. It's also very healthy and functional, so that's really cool. It is. Yeah. I mean, we've gone, we've you know, we've we have we have a very we're like work wives. Like we have a, a good working relationship. We have great conflict resolution, which basically means Stephanie's like, whatever you want. And, and, um, and Noelle is also extremely compassionate and understanding. (laughs) Yeah, she does. She does so much. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I have my own issues, let's be honest. But I do think, you know, having a relationship with you and working through a lot of cool things and having obviously a relationship with my husband has grown me as an individual. Um, but <laughs> I can't believe I just got put on like I was just a relationship with me was on was in a sentence <laughs> your relationship with your husband. Well, we've done a lot of stuff together. I don't I've never yeah, done, I haven't yeah. done as much stuff with any one person as I have with you. I mean, come on. Mm-hmm. 330 epi- podcast episodes where we talk like I mean, some of those are interviews. I only started recently doing the interviews, but this is a long thing. It was a long thing. And we went to PaleoFX together. We wrote a book together. I mean. Yeah, that's true. It's a that's lot. true. I am currently um, wearing the amazing soft and perfectly color, like perfect color t-shirt from Feed Fairfax 5K. Oh, you got it. Good. Great. Um, I did. And it's my fave color. Like, oh, oh, really? My fave. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, uh, <laughs> I can imagine, uh, Noah, I don't know how much Noah was behind, like, you know, the aesthetics or the branding of the Feed I, Fairfax. Yeah, run, I, but... I, I picked it all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, this is great. <laughs> anyway, I mentioned in the list of things we have done. Um, well, I guess, I mean, that, that was definitely... I didn't do it, but I did, I did, I, I did nothing, you know, but I did uh, get a t-shirt for the race. That's cool. I was supposed to run the race and then I had shin splints. So how is that going? Have, have the shin splints gone away? Uh, not really. It's slightly better. Yeah. It's did very it's slow. New shoes and the trigger point balls and all the things that I said, or uh, I, yeah, I got, I got the stuff, the, the rolly stuff and I've used it a little bit. Um, I'm not even, I haven't even tried to run, but it's funny if I have, like, if I take some steps wrong or something, if I, uh, yeah, if I like have impact, mm-hmm. then it's, uh, and it's like, all right, here we go. <laughs> back to square, you know, four or three or whatever I was. So anyway, it's fine. The feed Fairfax was lovely. The t-shirt was lovely. Um, and, uh, when I when my shin splints are healed, I will run a 5K and tell everybody how it went. <laughs> okay, so the next level, the next level of help, you need to be doing the trigger point stuff regularly. Like I'm talking, like every morning and every night, release your calf and then release the 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 muscle on the outside of your shin that on the right, so like the outer muscle, which right the leg, outside. right or side, left leg, left side. Okay, and then roll that small ball on on your plan of fat plantar fascia which is like the bottom of your foot because that i bet is really sticky and gritty and and hard because all that connects to your shin and if that's tight then it's going to pull on your shin your shin more um okay okay the next level i know you've seen runners wear these is to get like the shin (laughs) socks (laughs) so they have so they're like compression socks so it could be an actual sock but what you could wear, and my favorite brand is CEP, but you could just wear the sleeve so that you can wear your own socks and shoes. But you could wear that, like, when I had it really bad, I would wear it, like, at night or just, like, around the house when I was doing anything. And that really helps. Compression, mm-hmm. like, improves blood flow, and it'll just secure it a little bit more. Okay. Yeah. Good to know. Uh-huh. I, I am invested in this. Uh, I want you to feel better because I know you were excited about running and stuff and you can definitely get back into it. You just got the shorts. (laughs) (laughs) You just have to go slow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh Steffi might have overdid it a little bit. bit. You're like, I ran eight and then six and then 12. I'm like, wait, wait, what? What happened? (laughs) I've never run before. Did 20 something miles in a weekend. (laughs) Uh, um, Yeah, it wasn't 12, but... um, 
Yeah, I, I, I may have overdone it. You yeah. may have overdone it. Yeah. Just anyway. Anyway, so I was after we got off our call last uh, time we recorded, I was like sending you all the links because I actually have a basket underneath my TV, like on our little TV stand that has the trick, all the trigger point stuff in it. Yeah, and I just I just pull it out every day just because it's like good for keeping you a little bit more. I mean, releasing tension, it's self massage. It's not going to like heal things, but it definitely releases tension. It's just body right. maintenance. Um, okay. So Kelly Snyder asked, how was the race? The race was great. Um, it way, went way better. I, I We ach- definitely achieved all of our goals. Um, we had 241 runners, which was really, really great for our first year. I think Ken and I were both really excited for that. And um, the course was beautiful. And it was just a great, like, really nice day. It was hot, but at least it was, like, sunny, you know. <laughs> I was like, we put all this into this race. And if it, like, is pouring rain the morning of, I'm going to cry. So because you can't really pack food while you're, it's, like, raining um outside but food for others had um just they they're just doing incredible work in our community and they even like as like a food bank they partner with like local farmers and stuff so that when farmers have over like too much food they bring it and they actually have like a shopping experience where people can come and pick up food like fresh produce and stuff like that so it's just so cool and they're they're doing so many good things so we packed a whole bunch of power packs i think it was like oh, close to fifteen thousand meals and then um and we raised about twenty four thousand dollars and every all like some really fast runners came out which was cool somebody finished the race get this 3.1 miles in the guy finished it in like 15 minutes 40 mm-hmm. seconds a sub this was like a sub five minute mile, which is kind of rare when you're like, yeah, I don't know, for a first year race, yeah. I was like, whoa, dude. Um, and the girl finished in like 17 minutes. So we had some fast runners show up because it's a flat and fast race. So we're really excited to do it again next year. And, and everybody was really positive about it. Of course, Ken sent out a survey to see how all the runners, we have the feedback and all that stuff. And he's been telling me about the feedback. And I'm like, thanks, Ken. You're so good at this. Um, he's just really great and organized. So um, it was great. And it's great when you have somebody like Ken leading it. And yeah, I did do all the um, most of I was like, I want it to be this kind of cool green teal color. And then my we had a design team who actually just they go to our church, uh, but they created the website and they helped me. They gave me uh, like a palette of colors. It was like my dream come true. They're like, here are the good accent colors. And I'm like, I want I want lime green. <laughs> Felt like I was 12 again because lime green was my favorite color when I was 12. But um, <laughs> it just looked really good. It was green is like f- a food color. And I wanted it to be like not the Kelly green, you know, like yeah. grass yes, green. Yes, I do. I wanted like teal <laughs> and yeah. So anyway, um, how are you doing? And then we'll get into questions. Tell me how you're doing. I actually was... Um, stop for some reason you're not you rarely show up in my feed so i've been trying to like everything that you do so that well i, I again i'm not a feeder but uh, a news feeder but i have been trying to like everything that you do so that you show up all the time and you were like in your story you had a, a bachata which i always feel like i'm saying it wrong but a bachata song and you were like swaying and you're like oh new bachata songs so um mm. how are you feeling about being here in the U.S. and mm-hmm. just all the things. Uh, complicatedly, <laughs> for the most part. It's so, uh, it's so wonderful to be with my family currently, just where I am in Michigan. And it's, yeah, it's super, super wonderful. Um, I say complicatedly because I currently, I don't have a place of residence currently. I mean, I'm, I'm staying with my parents and then we'll bounce around for a little bit. You know, I am not, I'm really, it's very unclear. Like it's, it's just, it's very unclear. So, um, I'm, I'm very glad to be here. I'm sort of going through like a, a very, uh, important, I think, period of discernment in terms of where I want to be, what I want to be doing, um, which is just a, well, which is to say, I just, I remember one time when I was like in my early twenties and somebody had scratched on a desk in the library. Like I, uh, you're going to have it all figured out when you like get out of college or something. Like people were like scratching notes in the desks to each other. And I was like, Oh, 
the thing is like, you're always figuring it out, right? You're always figuring mm-hmm. it out. So I'm in a period of figuring it out, um, which is really good, you know, and I'm just doing a lot of sitting and, and letting myself figure it out in terms of dancing. Uh, yeah. So I hadn't, I had almost never listened to dancing music throughout all of lockdown. Um, yeah, I did take a weekly zoom salsa, like just to stay in touch with my community in Oxford because it was a local class that we did online remotely and that was really lovely but that was kind of it and now I I haven't started dancing yet but I am looking forward to it now it seems right it's it's on it's on the way it seems like society maybe you know moving in that direction and so I'm sort of starting to listen to it again and and think about possibilities of where I might dance, you know, all, all the sorts of things, what kind of dancing, um, you mentioned bachata, you want me to talk about it? Like, um, I have always loved bachata. I would say it's maybe my favorite of the dances that I do. Um, I am quite com- conversant, I would say, um, in most of the Afro-Latin dances, um, salsa, and there's a lot of varieties of salsa, um, to like particular local areas and different kinds of timing. I, I do all of those. Um, bachata, uh, there's a dance, uh, Kizomba, uh, Lambada, uh, Lambazook. Um, I do all these things. I will merengue, of course. Um, <laughs> and uh, one will, a lot, a lot of, well, whatever. I would merengue. Um, I also have dabbled in the swing dances. So I uh, mostly West Coast. So I may do some of that depending on where I am in the world, you know, cause different communities have, you know, different, different kinds of dancing. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. That's, um, I'm super, I'm super keen. Yeah. I, I am looking forward. I love it. You know, do so. you actually go to like take classes or do you go to these? I know last time you were in DC and we got to see each other, you were in town for like a big, whatever, like dancing well, I was, convention. <laughs> so they're I was called. in to see you. It was serendipitous timing that there was also a, a dancing. Uh-huh. Uh, and um, <laughs> this is my, this is my response when I'm feeling like it's okay to say this. Um, I don't take classes, like teach classes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, like you have to have people gathered somewhere, right? <laughs> to dance. I don't... Yeah. So, um, so like, so ballroom dancing, for example, is, like a lot of classes and training and uh, there are different kinds of dances that have that to various degrees. And um, the kind of dancing that I do, I would call it, it's more like social dancing Okay. and you, people do take classes like, and it's, you're encouraged to, and I encourage people to, uh, I kind of picked it up on my own. If I had taken classes, I probably would have learned a lot of things faster. I did take private lessons with various people, but I just did a lot of learning on my going out and learning Mm -hmm. on my own. So like when one goes dancing, you like, you know, there's a promoter and a night and a DJ and dancing and you like show up and dance. So it's like, you know, social, salsa dancing you can also they also it's really popular right now to be on like performance teams so you learn a routine with some people and perform it that's not something i i do i, I don't um i almost did once and i was like <laughs> <laughs> so um so yeah so that's um yeah it's lovely cool i like it yeah. i actually looked up um so I was like, I kind of, I wonder if there's like adult dance classes around here and they actually have an adult dance studio that also teaches kids classes, but it's more, it seems more like uh, what I would consider to be like your street dancing, like hip hop kind of stuff, which is pretty sure. cool. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Yeah. It, and that's wonderful. And I, as a kid growing up, I always thought like dancing ended, you know, cause mm-hmm. I just grew up where you were like, you know, kids danced and, but there's a huge, huge world of adult you know, dance communities and studios and stuff. So, and you can find so much to your fancy. Yeah. Love it. Thanks for the update. Mm -hmm. I've I've gotten quite a few like, what's Stephanie doing? Is she still dancing? So excited to hear once you get back into it. Um, Okay. Let's jump into questions. Question question number one is from uh, Annie. She says, hi, Stephanie Noel. I actually just discovered your podcast a couple weeks ago, and I've been diving into the archives. I've been very, it's been very soothing having your con- constant encouragement to nourish and love myself buzzing in my ears. 
But here's my question. I have a progressive genetic disease that causes a lot of not so glamorous, often extremely gross health issues. I was wondering if you have any advice or resources for helping me get over the body image woes that come with a body that doesn't function correctly, a body which in my worst moments makes me feel disgusting. I definitely don't hate my body and I have a lot of compassion for what we've been through together, but that doesn't prevent me from being very insecure. When things are going well, which for me means my digestion is going smoothly, which is a rare occurrence, it's easy for me to be confident and happy. I could be in a room full of supermodels and not really care. But in general, at least some level of worry or insecurity always almost about my GI issues plays constantly in the back of my mind. Ask me about any significant, fun, even slightly memorable event over the last 10 years, and I can tell you exactly how bloated, constipated, in pain I was. I was the other day. It's always it's always with me. Uh, I was that day. It's always with me. This has been especially damaging in terms of dating, around which I've developed almost crippling insecurity. Please help. How can I love and appreciate my body and, more importantly, not feel ashamed of it when I'm constantly at the mercy of its daily fluxations? So many body-positive messages encourage you to appreciate your body for all the amazing things it can do for you, but that's a little tricky in my situation. Thanks so much. Uh. Thank you, Annie. I, uh, I'm really, I'm really grateful for this question and for you, you know, writing it and and being, you know, stepping into that vulnerable state of of sharing Mm -hmm. your experience. Um, yeah, this, I, I think, I think, I think about this sort of thing related, you know, similarly, uh, um, quite a bit. I think I would like to start by talking about this idea of being in control of your body, right? Because there's, I think there's, we have these narratives of needing to be the one in charge or to make your body, you know, we have this feeling of agency over our bodies. But um, the reality is that we, you know, um, we're not. Uh, the ones in, in control, kind of, I mean, we, we do what we can, we work with, as, as you mentioned. Um, and there's, so there's no shame in, in having a condition and managing it. Um, and there's wisdom, I think, to understanding, to living into that relationship and understanding very deeply what it means to be in this position as a human to be, I don't want to, the, at the mercy of is the word that is, or the phrase I'm thinking of, but to, to just understand that you are like, you have an opportunity, right? We, we are given these, you know, this opportunity or we have this opportunity to be alive, but it's, it's so much, so much of it is not in our control. There's this, um, there's this book called The Gift of Pain by a man named Dr. Paul Brand. It was written in the 90s, but I, I thought it, it was very important for me and very interesting for me understanding myself and our society. Um, and I, I haven't read the whole thing, so this isn't a blanket recommendation. But the book is a lot about how if you pain teaches you uh, acceptance and in some ways navigating uh, submission or just sort of the boundaries of, of, of what it means to, to be human, right? Like, I have a debilitating migraine, like I, I do, like, I do what I have to, right? And so I think, I think that it's honest. I think when you're in a position, it's in which like, there is intrinsic difficulty. It's honest, and it's a part of being human and can maybe like, it help in some ways uh, in terms of, you know, relating to one another, um, understanding one another. And it doesn't, you know, that doesn't change uh, some of the difficulty you might feel um, with self-consciousness or what have you. But I, I do think that there is something there to um, carry with almost an element of, of pride as opposed to shame. If, if, we're, if shame is the thing we're pushing back against, then I would say it's just like, it's, it's a thing and, and you carry it and it's a part of who you are. Um, and uh, in terms of how to navigate like actual social situations. And so 
Um, I, I'll try not, I'll try not to make this about me. Um, since, uh, since my nose surgery, um, I have had, uh, my nasal situation has changed a little bit and I'm, I'm looking at options for, you know, helping with that going forward. But, um, I have to blow my nose a lot, like frequently. And if I don't, it builds up and I get headaches and I also have to like sometimes pick like crusty stuff out of my nose and sometimes it's bleeds. And so I carry around like I call it my snot rag. I'm holding it in my hands right now. Um, and I can't I can't like I have to do it a lot or I get headaches. And so um, I come into a space and I'm like, hey, I have a snot rag. I'm going to blow my nose a lot. I have this thing that I'm dealing with. Hmm. Cool. And they're like, yeah, cool. You know, and I, I think it can sort of help you if, if you walk into a space to um, or could help one <laughs> to um, to just maybe just communicate about it up front. And you could also um maybe seek out communities of people who struggle with this or similar issues. And maybe that could lend it an experience of familiarity and learning that it's okay with other people. And if you have body functions that you need to attend to, you know, Hey, I have to go to the bathroom a lot. I have a, you know, mm-hmm. my personal experience has been that people are like, cool. And in a way, like I have personally found that it's always appreciated because I am, I'm giving voice to something that we all in some way or another carry and I'm just willing to be like, Hey, this is like, it's, it's almost like there's a little bit of a confidence in it and a peacefulness about it because other people get to be like, they get to relax a little bit too. Like, Oh, we're all human here. We're all like in these bodies that, you know, we do our best to, uh, you know, take care of, get along with and like, and it's imperfect. And so that I think, maybe it's worth experimenting with just saying, you know, like if you go on a, a blind date, for example, or you meet friends of a friend, friends of friends out for dinner and just being like, Hey, you know, I, uh, I'm going to get up to go to the bathroom now and I'm probably going to do it X number of more times. And, mm-hmm. uh, like, that's just it. And I, I, I don't know. I think, I think people might be like, all right, Yeah. Before we jump into like the body image stuff, I think that's really, that's really profound. I don't know. Like it just, I think we think that we always need to hide what's, what's wrong with us. Like we need to cover it Mm -hmm. up and just like save face. And I think that what you'll find, Annie, is that so many people have their things and so many people are dealing with just prop they have their own problems whether it's chronic back pain and somebody sitting there in pain because i can tell you in so many situations i'm just dying but i'm like trying to act like nothing's wrong um or major digestive issues or super phlegmy or you know people with like crohn's disease who are constantly you know have to go to the bathroom or react to a lot of things or um you know eczema or psoriasis like there's a lot of things that people have that are hard to like show the world so to speak or chronic conditions especially now i think there are so many auto people have a lot of different autoimmune conditions and autoimmune conditions largely are these silent illnesses where we don't necessarily we can't see it you know we we it's not something you can necessarily put your finger on it's something that has to be explained and i love the idea of just being upfront about it. You don't have to love the side effects and the symptoms by any means. Um, you can you can say, yeah, this kind of stinks, but it's also like this is what it is. And I'm I think you'll be surprised at how much people are okay with it and also are willing to accommodate you and help. Like people are eager to help. Don't ever discount people and their willingness to be encouraging and helpful and accommodating. Because I think that a lot of people are just waiting for somebody to ask them for help. Um, And I think that if you are in a friend situation and you have some symptoms going on or whatever, you can be like, hey, I might leave early or hey, I have to, you know, I may have to go to the bathroom a few times or whatever. Um, People are going to love you for you, right? People in your life are going to love you 
for you regardless of your symptoms. And in a dating situation, somebody's going to fall in love with you and not care if you have, you know, symptoms. They're not, they're like, they're just not going to care. Um, and if anything, they're going to be a great support to you and help you get by, right? And help, and help you manage things and help you discern what you should do next and go to the doctor with you and all that stuff. So I think that being upfront about it is like really a, a cool way of just saying like, Hey, I have this thing. It's, it's fine. As opposed to feeling like you have to hide it and, and leave it in the dark and therefore feel shame about it. And people may not understand and maybe you don't want to share that with everybody and that's fine too. But I think the people who you're willing to be vulnerable with and trust, I think it's really powerful to just be upfront about it. And you may even find that, you know, whoever you're sitting across from has their own thing that they're dealing with too. Um, and I like the idea of like groups and stuff that are, that other people, that are people going through your, your similar situations too. I will add too, like, it seems that what's really bothering you is the digestive stuff. You don't need to go through this alone. And I think that there are absolutely things that you can do to improve your digestion, whether it's just figuring out what's going on. Do you have a good probiotic? Are you helping nourish your gut lining? Um, do you know if you have leaky gut or do you know if you have a gut infection? Like a lot of things you have SIBO and yeah, it could be a symptom, but it's definitely things that you can treat and work through. Are there certain foods that trigger certain things? And that's where like a functional medicine practitioner, a nutritional therapy practitioner who can do labs and, and is really trained in digestive help and supplements. Um, you know, cause I think in your case, you probably do need to take some, some supplements to help support your body. Like I think that that's really important too. So consider investing in somebody who can walk alongside you with, like, and be, and help you manage your symptoms too. Because sometimes it's just like, you just want somebody to hear your struggle. <laughs> like every time I go to the PT, like, I can't tell you, I was like, cr- I just cry sometimes <laughs> in his, in his office and be like, I literally can't walk and I can't do this anymore. You know, I don't want to get up in the morning and, and they are there and they hear you and they're like, we're going to, we're going to figure this out together. So that's really helpful too. Do you have any thoughts about just body image and body love when your body is, when you have a chronic disease stuff? Um, nothing too far outside of, of what, you know, the general approach that I tend to take, I I think there can be a whole lot more change, you know, and Annie talks about, you know, seeing changes and that that changes is always difficult. Mm -hmm. Um, and I would just, I would point again to (laughs) like the inevitability of that as, as humans and, um, (laughs) <laughs> the lessons we can learn, you know, those like, air quotes or like, you know, whatever, um, uh, moving forward, uh, because that's something that everybody has to go through and, and often increasingly throughout life. And, um, and in terms of consciousness about the way that it looks, you know, it's just, um, it, it is what it is. Uh, Noelle often talks, has often talked about, and I really appreciate the, the idea that like, you don't, you don't need to love how your body looks like you can, if you want to, but at the same time, like it just, you can relate to it and prioritize, you know, attempt to prioritize, you can prioritize, uh, what you've been through, who you are, how it's, you know, how it's shaped who you are. And, you know, it's challenging, but it is, you know, it is a part of you and maybe folding all of that change and, and challenge into your identity, into your narrative can sort of help you. Um, I mean, we are creatures. We, we love identity. <laughs> like that's, um, if you can fold that into identity and who you are and how you carry yourself in the world, like um, maybe that will just, just sort of decrease the, the intensity, you know, to which with which you might um analyze the way that you look. Yeah, I like that. I think um, that, you know, when we're saying appreciate, we're trying to get people's focus in general off of the the visual aesthetics of the human body we get so focused on the last 10 pounds or the the stretch marks here or you know and that's what diet culture wants to to 
tell us is that there are things wrong with the aesthetics or the way your body looks. And so here are some things to fix it. And a lot of times those, those things don't improve health. And I think that one of the things that's really powerful is just saying, okay, I don't actually have to love every part of my, like, you don't have to, it's the, the, the pinnacle here are the, the, there's no like goal post where you're like, okay, I finally, I finally love all parts of my body. Some people do, and that's great, but some people, you know, your body changes, things happen, you get wrinkles, you have babies and stretch marks form and all that kind of stuff and the body changes. And yes, it's it's a beautiful life experience. It's this, your body's doing amazing things, even with a chronic illness. Um, your body is doing amazing things, but you don't have to love all the things that it does. So you can be appreciate, you know, and love your body for what it is is doing and what it allows you to do and what it allows you to experience even while you have a chronic illness because there are going to be always be some things that you don't love about your body. I mean, I don't love the fact that I have chronic pain and it's, you know, how, how I don't love the way my body responded to pregnancy. Like, I, it, it sucks, but I also very much so appreciate all the things that my body does do and, and the fact that it is trying its best to keep me alive and that it's working and it's functioning and I, and my worth isn't, my worth isn't in how you know, how was my chronic illness today? Or how was my chronic pain today? Or, you know, what was my weight on the scale? And so I think we just need to remove that from our worth and remove that from like the pressure. That's just a lot of pressure, like to try to love all these things about your body and love all the things that it does. There's just so much more to life and to the world than that. And and I know you're a relatively new listener and we do talk about this a lot. So I think as you listen to some of the archives too, we have a lot of episodes just on body image through the various phases of life and it's challenging and it's not ever going to be easy. You know, I don't, I, I, I don't want people to think that this is like an easy thing either. Um, just, oh, finally, I, I don't have to love my body anymore. So I'm good. Like that's challenging too. I think we're always, always, you know, <laughs> news feeds to just even more so now, you know, we used to talk about body image. We used to say, oh, well, what are the magazines and the books saying and all that? And now nobody really uses that. But it's it's like, you know, it's times 10 nowadays with social media, Pinterest, Instagram, you know, fitness articles, people sharing stuff, sending you email, like it's everywhere. And so we're constantly told that, you know, we need to be fixing things about ourselves and we need, we need to look this way. And we're seeing, we're seeing a curated newsfeed of people who look like they're loving their bodies and doing a lot of fun things. But I can promise you a lot of them also have chronic illness and probably don't like a lot of things about their body. And so we just have to keep that in mind. Um, I'll stop because I, I could ramble for days. Okay. Anything else? (laughs) I'm good. Okay. Question number two is from Cassie. She said, why why do we get uh, hormonal headaches and how to prevent them? I do already take magnesium and I used to get them when I first got my period. They're back now that I'm postpartum. And the only thing that seems to relieve them is sleeping all day. Fascinating. Um, Thank you. And this is a very, uh, this affects a lot of uh, women. And uh, yeah, so I think uh, Noelle knows the, the idea, the theory, you know, the uh, connection between histamine and estrogen. Well, so I'm going to bookmark that uh, talk a little bit about uh, some other uh, theories in the medical literature about the relationship between estrogen and headaches and migraines. Uh, it's super, super complicated. Hormones, estrogen um, in particular, I mean, it's quite well studied estrogen, um, but it's incredibly active in so many different parts of your body. And the effects there, there are different kinds of receptors and uh, are quite, uh, yeah, it's quite complicated. Um, generally speaking, what I've been able to find is that uh, so estrogen acts at blood vessels in terms of uh, dilating and constricting and it also plays a role in modulating neurotransmitter levels in the brain and uh, the the latter 
point about neurotransmitter levels has is probably been studied um, the most so far as I can tell by people who look at like migraines and estrogen and the causes again to the best of my knowledge so um, the idea of, of uh, the vasoconstriction and dilating is is interesting um, headaches tend can be caused uh, when your blood vessels dilate um, or when they like stiffen uh, because there are there are nerves around that 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 can get pinched or you know can can become um yeah in, inflamed or what have you so there's that um not sure if inflamed is the correct word and then also so estrogen um plays a role in uh, serotonin uh, activation and processing and then clearing um of and um the whole life cycle of neurotransmitters and, and especially this uh, serotonin system. And so there's been a lot of uh, looking at it and starting about, uh, I want to say in the seventies, 1972, <laughs> um, there was a study. Yeah. 1972 was the first study that looked at the relationship between estrogen and migraines. And it, it started uh, and it looked it, it said that estrogen withdrawal was the problem right so uh, you have a bunch of estrogen and so the theory went in a very simple form estrogen would upregulate serotonin activity in the brain which dulls pain which modulates the pain experience and then coming off of estrogen when estrogen levels drop your body you may then experience pain because you're sort of like it's a, it's a withdrawal from that um, action between estrogen and serotonin and, and the pain receptors or um, pathways rather. Um, so, but that study was only done on six people, and and uh, but it inst- instantiated and inst- instigated uh, many studies to this effect. Um, some which uh, replicated it, some which saw more complexities. There's uh, been a fair number of studies uh, looking into the possibility that estrogen withdrawal uh, can lead to headaches. Interestingly enough, in the earlier trimesters of pregnancy, uh, migraines appear to, uh, generally speaking, decline. Um, But estrogen does drop off postpartum, um, which you mentioned uh, and so that is one possible theory, this uh, experience of estrogen withdrawal. And it may be related to the serotonin pathway. Um, it may also be related to the way in which, you know, estrogen, um, it's all sort of processed afterwards. All of it just to say it's quite complicated, but it seems like um, there's a number of different ways that it could be playing a role. There's this histamine um, connection. There's also... Uh, action at vasodilating at, at your blood vessels. And so if it's a time in your cycle when you know that your estrogen levels are a little bit higher, so earlier on, um, and you experience uh, some pain, there may be vasodilating may be playing a role. Of course, um, that is just one small subset of theory. And I think um, I, I haven't seen it talked about quite as much, but especially not with with respect to migraines. And then there's this theory of estrogen withdrawal, which would um, be kind of around mid-cycle and then at the start of your period, uh, which is when your estrogen levels would be dropping off, would be lower. And um, if you're experiencing pain during that time, then it may have something to do with this um, neurotransmitter pathway and pain mitigation in the brain. Uh, What we might want to consider doing is modulating the relationship between estrogen and progesterone. So increasing progesterone uh, would involve, most importantly, reducing stress, uh, sleeping more, uh, making sure that you don't spend a lot of time. Uh, I mean, there's so many stressors, <laughs> but not, uh, not uh, going ex- extended amounts of time without eating. Um, you know what I mean? Just all of all of the things to try to make your body feel fed and relaxed is great. Um, magnesium has been shown to be qu- quite important. I highly recommend magnesium threonate. So if part of the pathway, if, if part of what might be going on here is related to um, 
the up or down regulation of neuronal excitability in the brain, which it very well might be, then magnesium threonate, which is a form of magnesium that is specially formulated to be able to pass the blood-brain barrier, it could be really uh, important. Uh, I'm not saying necessarily, but it could be. It could be uniquely helpful uh, because magnesium would be able to help promote the down regulation of neuronal excitability in the brain, which would um, possibly reduce headaches. Um, so magnesium 3 and 8 could be helpful for that. I personally, I take a little bit of glycine. Um, I take half a capsule, which I now know is 500 milligrams uh, a evening. And glycine is an amino acid that can sort of also help participate in that balance between neuronal excitability and um, uh, real relaxation. <laughs> and so um, those are a few things to look into in terms of that. Um, and the estrogen uh, balancing, I think leafy greens are huge, because they're very important for helping the liver work through um, estrogen, work through everything, actually. Um, so leafy greens are really important. Um, exercise is important. Hydrating, very important. Anything that promotes liver health. So um, eggs, maybe uh, choline, uh, eating liver, uh, that sort of thing. I'm a uh, yeah, really, really big fan of and I've been talking for a while. So what do you think? Uh, the histamine and estrogen connection is um, pretty interesting, and it's only something I learned about recently. So, uh, Stephanie explained this, but if you look at your cycle on a chart, estrogen, of course, rises and peaks at ovulation, then drops, and then rises at the end of our cycle. It's why you, you know, get that slippery, uh, egg whitey kind of um discharge, vaginal discharge at ovulation, and sometimes you get a little bit more of that right before your period starts, or, you know, in the days leading up to your period starting. So estrogen actually makes us produce more histamine, and histamine can be a big driver of these headaches and migraines, and it's why a lot of people will experience, um, not all, but it's not, not the only reason behind it, but I think it's a, it definitely plays into why a lot of people will experience migraines around ovulation and then before their period when estrogen is, is kind of dropping off. Um, so uh, histamine is actually just a... It's a chemical. It's produced in cells throughout the body as part of the body's like inflammatory response to whatever allergens in the air or infection or injury. And histamine isn't like all bad. Just like inflammation isn't bad, right? Inflammation is a response. It's a healing response. But when um, overrun or <laughs> or when it goes nuts, then that can lead to systemic or chronic issues. So chronic inflammation, obviously, is not something we want. Um, and as such, histamine, we don't want histamine to be uh, like too much in our body to the point where we get this like histamine intolerance and we start to get these long withstanding symptoms, um, which can be, you know, migraines and headaches. It's a that's a very common symptom of histamine intolerance. So I think that you can kind of do two things. One is to reduce your exposure to histamine during that time because histamine is actually in foods um, and then reduce your exposure to estrogen. So like xenoestrogens and then help the body support your liver by helping the body detoxify estrogen, which is why Stephanie was talking about leafy greens, cruciferous vegetables, sulfur-rich foods like egg yolks. All of those things help your body detoxify used estrogen from the body and get it out so that you don't have this excess of estrogen. So when people are experiencing estrogen dominance, it can be because of one of two reasons. One, they are over there, they have this overexposure to estrogen through things like skincare. So there are xenoestrogens and endocrine disruptors in skincare products, most notably cleaning products, uh, pesticides, stuff like that. Uh, heavy metals, there's certain heavy metals that may actually um, mimic estrogen in the body or have estrogenic effects. So one is to reduce your exposure to that. And then two is to help the body excrete estrogen through supporting the liver and supporting gut health. Those are your two main organs that are trying to get it out of the body. So um, 
histamine foods. So reduce high histamine foods. That's no fermented anything, basically. So no fermented dairy, cheese, yogurt. I would just avoid that. And then no fermented vegetables, no kombucha, um, chocolate and citru- citrus fruits, and even avocado ha- and banana too um, can be histamine releasers. So reduce that during during those times and see if that helps. Um, and then... Oh, one of the things that I I found interesting is that there's a lot of things that can result in this like buildup of histamine. So it could also be things like environmental causes such as pollen and dust mites. So if you have like a lot of pollen in your air and, you know, or whatever, you're allergic to dust mites and you have this chronic exposure to them, that can lead to this like overabundance of histamine. Um, alcohol. So that's another thing. Sorry, I didn't include that one in the, the elimination of foods, but no alcohol um, during this time. See if that helps. And then um, a diet too high in fermented foods, estrogen dominance plays a role in this histamine intolerance, adrenal dysfunction, lack of sleep, nutrient deficiencies, and then gut infections. Because again, all of these things, you need things to help the body eliminate both estrogen and histamine and get it out of the body. So you've really got to support your liver. Um, And if you're wondering more about histamine, like I mean, the symptoms, one of the main symptoms that I, that put it on the map for me is eczema. Like my kid was dealing with this eczema and I had to pull out these high histamine foods and it reduced and it was fine. So, um, irregular heartbeat, low blood pressure, PMS, all the things, seasonal allergies. So what to do about high estrogen? Steph just said it reduce your stress. So figure out what is causing your stress, whether it's under eating, over exercising, you're not dealing with men- your mental and emotional health, you're, uh, you're not sleeping, you're not getting light exposure, all those things. It lowers progesterone and estrogen and progesterone have to be in balance in the body. Progesterone is wonderful, but stress will actually make our progesterone lower. Now, if you see estrogen and progesterone on a scale of what's in balance and now you're stressed and your progesterone goes down, guess what's going to happen? Your body's going to perceive that as an estrogen dominant. So you've got to reduce stress to really make sure that you're getting sufficient progesterone and that that the, both of those things are staying in balance. Um, support the liver, cruciferous vegetables, food rich in heat, foods rich in heme iron are really important. So that's your grass fed meats, sulfur rich veggies, uh, broccoli, leafy greens, broccoli, grass fed meats, uh, take a magnesium supplement. There are also some herbs and supplements that can help with liver detoxification, things like milk thistle, NAC, And then mushrooms like reishi and cordyceps are known for supporting the liver. There are two like compound supplements that I love. Designs for Health has a HEPA um, Tatone Plus. And then Dr. Becky has this supplement called Liver Love. I'll link to both of those in the show notes. Um, And of course, reduce, you know, check your skincare. Um, That's, I mean, that's why I love Beauty Counter um, and I use it. They test for heavy metals as well. That's that's really why I switched everything over to Beauty Counter um, is because of that heavy metal piece, but there's also absolutely no endocrine disruptors in anything from Beauty Counter. Um, And then extra stuff, get an air purifier for your home so that you're reducing pollen, dust mites, all that kind of stuff from your air. I have had, uh, my husband's had some allergies. It's been a very bad allergy season, which I'm so thankful for our Allen air purifier for that reason. Um, but we are experimenting when his, his symptoms really flare up. So in other words, histamines kind of overrun. There's a supplement from designs from health for health called hist ease, hist ease. So I'm experimenting with when his symptoms get a little bad. I'm like, take the hist ease. Uh, quercetin has been shown to really help. Um, and then uh, supporting your liver does too. So then taking some sort of like Dr. Becky's li- liver love or whatever, that can really help too. So just like a supportive liver um, compound supplement. And I will link to how to reverse estrogen dominance naturally in the show notes. That is my post on the topic. Okay. Anything else, Steph? Nope. Question number three is from Katie. She says, what's the best vegan lactation booster food supplements? Go for it. Okay. And uh, uh, (laughs) so I'm just, this is a quick one. We got two quick ones. Um, I'm just going to say first and foremost, make sure that you're eating enough calories and enough carbs. A lot of times women are not eating enough calories and they're not eating enough carbohydrates and they're not drinking enough water. And that is the foundation to making enough calories for your children. 
for your babies. So you've got to be eating and drinking. This has got to be, you've got to shift your mindset from get my body back to like, how can I just fill my body with enough nutrients and carbs and calories so that I can produce food and grow a human being? Like that's a huge task. So, um, I would, and I, and that whole like, oh, if you breastfeed, then you lose the weight faster. Like just stop. That's not a real, that's not a real thing. It's not been proven. A lot, a lot of people don't experience that and that's fine and that's normal. Um, so you're not doing it wrong if you're not losing weight and breastfeeding. Okay. Um, there, a lot of people will talk about oats. Now I looked into this because I was actually pretty, I was like, is this actually scientifically proven? It's not. There's no scientific research on oats for milk production. However, I think that it's just a nice food because it's carb rich and, you know, yummy and warm and it's easy to eat. Um, I would really focus on electrolytes. So this is where the element comes in. Drinklmnt.com forward slash well-fed is our link for a free sample pack, $5 shipping, but get the electrolytes. Uh, pumping groups in particular have reported improved supply, like huge increases in supply because hydration is so important. And electrolytes are crucial for the absorption of water into cells. So if you are, you just need to, in your, like, breastfeeding is just so dehydrating. I could not drink enough water breastfeeding. It just, like, never stopped. I wish I had Element. So if you are breastfeeding, if you're pumping, if you're, if you're nursing on demand, if you're postpartum, like, just take the Element one a day. You need those electrolytes. That's really, really going to help. And then there are a few herbs that do improve supply, like alfalfa. There is a, um, I, there's a couple different teas, like milk supportive teas that will have a, a variety of just these basic herbs that have been shown to potentially improve supply. So I would focus on that if you want to just like sip on the tea. Um, as a non-vegan recommendation for my non-vegan listeners, I will say low iron is linked to decreased supply and heme iron is really important for mom and baby. Make sure that you're eating sufficient grass-fed meats too. Okay, the last question is from Angela. She said, any remedies for motion sickness and what's the best bug repellent for bugs, especially mosquitoes? I have you there on the mosquito thing. I've been using this stuff forever. It is... um Badger, I will link to it in the show notes, Badger Bug Spray. It is a spray that's got some like essential oils in it, but it's actually safe for like when I uh, used it, when we, I have some friends that are around horses and they're like, oh, this is what we use on our horses too. So it's just safe all around and it is very, very effective. Um, and that's what we use on the kids. So, so it's like, you know, citronella. Um, what do you think about motion sickness? Any thoughts on that? Uh, no. It's okay. Unfortunately, it's. <laughs> do you, have have you ever struggled with motion sickness? Not worth. Oh yeah, yeah. I um I threw up on field trips as a kid. You know, like on the bus to get out of. The, you know, yes. Mm. Motion sickness is huge for me. I can't do rides no rides. I did one carnival ride once in my life. Never, ever, 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 ever again. It's really huge for me. Um, hmm. yeah. And, and it's like, it's hard, like being in cars and stuff. Like, oh, it's, yeah. it's a challenge. And, and so you've never done like a cruise or boat rides or anything? <laughs> <laughs> I have this, I have this uh, thing coming up and there's like optional whale watching and I'm like, nope. <laughs> Gosh, no, <laughs> I cannot. I cannot. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's a, it's a, it's bad. It's huh? a thing. It's a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Focus on the middle distance. Sit in the front. Focus on the middle yeah. distance. Yeah. Good air circulation. Totally. Um, yes. Yeah. I've totally. never, I've never really found anything that, um, you know, really does a trick for me otherwise, but yeah, yeah. I, I get it really bad too. Um, I can't, look at my phone, read, um, yeah. or anything like oh, yeah, that no. in the car. It's funny. But like, you know, my husband's like, Hey, can you look up directions or look up where the nearest it is? And I'm like, Nope, I cannot. Cause then I will be sick. Um, so I looked, I just like poked around. I don't have a ton of interesting things to say, but maybe just a couple, um, so it, it occurs when there's a physical sense of movement, but your visual perception of movement differs from whatever your, your the physical sense is. 
So essentially, there's like poor communication in your vestibular system, and that that system includes the brain and then the inner ear, and it's responsible for your balance and your eye movements. And there's also this new condition, which I have been experiencing this, and I've actually gotten two very bad cases, um, and it's called digital motion sickness, and it strikes users of like smartphones and tablets mm-hmm. and computers where when you're scrolling, you're, you're seeing this miscommunication happen, you're seeing the movement, but you're not feeling it. And it actually can result in visually induced motion sickness. And this can really, of course, occur in video games or virtual reality. So there was this thing at Disney World when we went, which was like a virtual, oh my gosh, I can't, now I can't even remember the, um, Oh, that's such a bad decision. Why did I go on that ride? There was a couple of virtuality things that I did not do, but there was one, and I can't, it's not, it's just something at Epcot, and it spins. I know everybody who knows that it just spins, straight spinning. You get in there, and you stand, and it's like the spinning makes you actually feel like you're going up. I don't know why I did it. I just thought it, I thought I'd be able to handle it, and it was like, the whole time I was like, make it stop. Um, but you watch, you're watching a video screen and then you're like, the centripetal force is kind of like keeping you back. It was awful. So I have to be very careful too about just like even video stimulation. Um, but I have gotten this scrolling. Have you gotten it scrolling? Do you, have you gotten motion? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I can feel a little bit disoriented, but it's not, it's not, it's not different from like, it's, it's very similar to how I feel when I get a little, fuzzy for like an oncoming headache like it's um you know it's just it's it's stuff it's bright lights moving too fast like I would get the same thing with cars going by really quickly right so um yeah I've I've, it makes sense to me that it's a you know that it's a thing Um, yeah and then I just and I just put down my you know I try not to right then I just put it down yeah, it, it happens to me definitely when I'm scrolling a lot. So searching for something, say I'm looking for a dress or something like that, and I'm on my phone and it's just constant scrolling because I'm like trying to find something. And then I'm like, oof, gosh. And if I have to do that for more than like, you know, an hour and I'm like, you know, then I go to my computer and then I'm typing and scrolling and I'm just like, I like I have to stop like for an entire day. But uh, women are more prone to it as our kids, people who... Um, who are more prone to migraines get it more often, um, or if you've had like chronic ear infections. Mm-hmm. Some people actually would connect this to an histamine intolerance, but I don't have any other symptoms. There's just no major connection there, but I do mm-hmm. know that histamine intolerance can cause like nausea and, and migraines and stuff like that. So one of the interesting thing is, things is that most medications that you take for this motion sickness is antihistamines. So I haven't thought about this, but I'm like, well, I wonder if you could take some more natural antihistamine supplements, something like a dehist or whatever, something to support your body eliminating histamine. Would that have the same effect as an antihistamine? Although antihistamines are super drying. Um, I don't know. It's definitely worth exploring. <laughs> um, but anyway, the only thing that I have found that worked is uh, Ginger Chews. So there's this brand I can link to that in the show notes. I got I got a whole bunch of stuff I got to link to in the show notes this time. There are Ginger Chews that I take that have that's been helpful. So I I kind of have them with me everywhere. Um, so if we go on longer car rides, if I'm sitting in the front seat, it's fine. Air circulation is really important. You get too hot, it happens. Cold water is important. Looking at the horizon, actually looking where you're going, that can really help. So I do sit in the front seat um, more often. You know, I actually kind of make that a request. Um, they ha- mm-hmm. they do have acupuncture bands. I've never found that to be helpful. I do have a pair no. and it's never worked, but it may work for some people. Uh, there are some homeopathic remedies. So if you Google like motion sickness homeopathic remedies, you will find some stuff and it's like, why not? Just try it. Peppermint oil is the only other thing that has worked. So when I was in labor and pushing and felt like I was about to die, um, the nurse was, she had peppermint oil and lavender oil and she kept putting peppermint oil on a piece of, uh, like, I don't know, just like a cotton, you know, whatever, paper towel. And she would kind of like put it under my nose and immediately I'd smell it and I never threw up in labor ever, um, which I thought I would be that person. <laughs> so um, I didn't, I just didn't throw up at all uh, with either kid. And I had, I had peppermint for both of them. So 
Actually, Maverick was just so fast, I didn't quite have time, but I, I was pushing a very long time with Stella, and I felt like I just was not going to make it. Um, and smelling the peppermint was just so helpful. And I was like, give me the peppermint! So it worked, um, and that actually really does work, the, just the smell. So if you can get a little bit of like a the peppermint uh, roller, I think that that will help. And then something interesting that I looked into is uh, 5-HTP, magnesium, and B6 can actually help to reduce it slightly if you are sufficient and you take it before you travel or before you go somewhere. So it has to be something that you don't just do in the moment. You have to do it beforehand, which makes me think, like, I do think magnesium plays a role in some way. And, uh, you know, deficiency is just involved in so many things. But um, when I was super nauseous in my first trimester with Stella, I used magnesium oil and it stopped it um, quite quickly. So I used magnesium oil and applied it like all over my just belly and back or whatever, wherever is easy. It just absorbs transdermally. And I, it stopped my, my morning sickness in its tracks. So magnesium, folks. Um, anything else from you? before we no jump off thanks for chatting thanks for catching up uh thanks for being here guys we appreciate you thanks for submitting some of these quick questions um for us it was really helpful and we love being able to interact with you and see what what you're thinking about and what questions you have um for more from me you can go to coconutsandcuttleballs.com for more from stephanie you can follow her at stephanie.ruper on instagram thanks guys thanks for being here we will talk to you next week